know, people think that, you know, let me let me dive into money. People think that money makes things easier because money gets possession, like ownership begets possession, right? And it's such a lie. It's, it's, it's absolute BS. Ownership begets responsibility. Responsibility begets possession. So having money creates an enormous amount of responsibility. Anything you own, I don't care whether it's a dollar, whether it's a building, a car, you have a new responsibility you did not have before. Are you looking for freedom? Freedom from the daily grind and hustle? Or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. Thank you for joining me on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Guys, I say it every single week, but I am so freaking excited for this episode today because we have a gentleman on the show who I've had the privilege of sitting at dinners with, having conversations for an hour and a half in coffee shops, just amazing conversations. And I'll tell you, um, one of the most humble guys, he'll never tell you how successful he is. I actually sat at an entire dinner with him and had amazing conversations. And a little bit later, somebody was like, dude, you realize what this guy does and how much he's done? And I was like, no, had no idea. And this is what I love about Mr. Preston Brown. You are just someone who shows up, wants to add value, um, wants to be the best version of yourself at every opportunity. And the money is a byproduct of good living. Uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like, dude, the level of success and just life that you've achieved is very, very inspiring to me. And yet you still have so much fun on a daily basis. So I'm just excited to kind of unpack some of this. Thanks for coming on the show. Dude, thanks for having me, Mike. It's always a pleasure, man. I love hanging out yeah. with you. That's going to be so good. So I have a quick question for you. If you could narrow it down to one thing that you think has had the greatest impact on your success, what do you think that is? Uh, one thing? Problems. Yeah, one thing. Problems. Okay. Absolutely, it's problems. 100%. I think, I think most people think that problems are a bad thing. I think that problems are a good thing. I'm a little bit masochistic in my relationship with life. You know, you know I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian, as you know, we're in a Christian mastermind together. Um, but like, I, I, I don't get like some of the Christians are always like, oh, yeah, you know, this is the way God talks to me. Uh, he's never talked to me. He's never come out and said, hey, Preston, I'd like you to do this. It, it'd be kind of cool. I'm, I'm hoping one day he does. But no, what he does is he kind of like throws a bomb at me. He's like, hey, here's how your world's fucked up today. And I'm like, oh, shit, okay. And then I have to go solve the problem. So like I identify problems as this opportunity to play with my maker, if that makes sense. Like like to to go and meet the challenge he's sending me. So that, that, that's, if there's one thing, there's probably not one thing, but if there is one thing, that's the thing. Yeah. I often say this, like people, I think, have this in their brain that, you know, if they have money or they had a business or they just had, you know, a million dollars of passive income, like life would get easier. And I always say it doesn't get easier. We just get stronger. We get better. And I love the answer to that. But I would love for you to address that, because I think sometimes people would look at Mike or Preston or anybody that's ahead of them and be like, man, must be nice. Like he's so lucky or whatever. And really, when you get into it, like, it doesn't get easier. We just get stronger, right? And so I'd love for you to unpack that a little bit further. Like, look, there's some stuff that gets easier. There's other stuff that never gets easier. Like, more money, more problems is true, but it's just they're better problems. 
Um, but like other stuff gets a lot harder. Like I'm going to tell you what, like my taxes is way harder than people without money. Okay. Like, um, the way that I have to plan is way harder than, than people without money. Like, um, I, you know, having money, it's kind of an interesting thing. Like you get new family members that introduce themselves to you all the time, wanting money. Like I, my family keeps growing because I have money. It's weird. Uh, so like there's, you know, money will never buy you happiness is some phrase that people always tell me, but poverty is also a really stupid fucking idea. So like, I mean, I kind of look at money like it's a tool. It's like air. It's just, it's, it's, it's a resource. Like you never hear people with it talking about it. Generally, it's generally, if, if they're talking about it, they don't really have it. Um, or, or maybe they just have a giant ego or something, but it's like air. Like I never hear people like, look at all this. I got this, all this air. Look, look at this air, Mike. It's all my I, you just don't see that. Like, and so that's kind of like money. Does it make things easier? Some things. Uh, like, I, I, I don't have to worry about money problems. So I can put more time on my life problems. But then when I go open that Pandora's box of, of life problems, uh, you know, now I've got to go and spend more time with my wife. I've got to get present with her. I've got to understand her needs. Like, I, I, I no longer have that safety net of, hey, I can go spend my entire day at work. Like, I, I've got to get to know this beautiful woman that I that I'm obviously in love with, but don't understand it all. That's, that's a lot harder. When, when you spend more time with your spouse, it's, it's actually harder than spending less time with your spouse. I think now you might disagree, but it's, it's more compelling. It's more fun, but it's not easier. Okay. Like I I'm now far more responsible for the way that my kids are raised because I have time. If that makes sense. Like you know, people think that, you know, let me let me dive into money. People think that money makes things easier because money gets possession, like ownership begets possession, right? And it's such a lie. It's, it's, it's absolute BS. Ownership begets responsibility. Responsibility begets possession. So having money creates an enormous amount of responsibility. Anything you own, I don't care whether it's a dollar, whether it's a building, or a car, you have a new responsibility that you did not have before. So do some things get easier? Like, can I take an extra hour and go to the gym if I want? Sure. Yeah, I don't have the same problems that somebody without money has. But I'm also not in a position where, like, things are easier. They're actually far more complex. So there's more to do if you have money, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. I was speaking to a mutual friend of ours group um, the other day. It's a group called Million Dollar Plumber. He, um, His name's Richard. He's in the Wellspring. Yeah. And we were talking to his guys. And these guys are all people that are, you know, moving from one truck chuck to, you know, growing a plumbing business. And, you know, one of the things that came up in that conversation, and, and you're reminding me of this, I was thinking about, um, I've often said that most people can't handle freedom. And I love what you're talking about there. Because I think most people think that, you know, time freedom, when you were talking about your wife, and, and you, you can't just like bury your head in this eight hour job, or honey, my boss says I have to work this weekend. I was telling the guys at Million Dollar Plumber, I'm like, you know, I was reminded of the story in the Old Testament when God never designed us to have a king. And the children of Israel, they, they were asking for a king. And, and the, the prophet was like, no, you, you know, we don't want a king. And he was actually mourning. And God said, you know what, if they want a king, give them a king. And so they gave him King Samuel. And then everything went to hell. And it's just such a great story because like what you were talking about with money, I think for most people, I'm actually coaching a guy right now that um, is is a business owner. Him and his wife recently had a baby. She's staying home for the first time in there. They're really having some challenges because 
you know, she doesn't understand that he still needs to work in order to make money. But he also doesn't understand, like how to have the forward conversation, because when we're employees, we can just blame it on the boss. Or when we have a king, we can blame it on the king or the president or the congressman or whatever. But really, like, when when we have financial freedom, we have to take ownership of our own stuff. Yeah. Anytime you do any blaming, okay, like any blaming, I don't care if you're an employee, an owner, entrepreneur, whatever, blame is an acronym. And this just hit me one day. It is being lazy and making excuses. Anytime you blame somebody, you're actually giving away your responsibility. And if ownership begets responsibility, you're actually giving away your ownership, which is giving away your power. Anytime you blame anyone. Now, and there's a difference between blame and discerning. Like if, if somebody does something dumb, like I can discern and say like, well, that was probably not something I would do or repeat if I was you. But but I'm, I'm not going to go out and judge them. Like I, I would never judge somebody for what they're doing. Even if I don't like what they're doing, I would judge myself if they did it. Because the moment you blame, you actually give away your power. And and, and you, you said, you know, God said people, well, yeah, sure. Let's give him King Samuel. Well, God is the king of kings. Like, so if he's the king of kings, then we're kings and kings own, which means we're responsible. And since we're responsible, we possess. Like, that's the actual process. And, and you know, most people these days think prayer means begging, right? Like, I mean, I, I trigger a lot of my Christian friends. I think I've told you this. I, I, I trigger them because, like, I'm I'm very Christian. Like, I'm very into, like, Jesus and what he did. I'm a fan of that. But he was a rebel. Like, I always joke, I'm, 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 if I'm part of the body of Christ, I'm the middle finger, right? Like, because I think religion is all built on rules. It's like all these great, stupid rules of how to avoid hell. And, and rules, they have this problem. Like, they're immoral, right? Like, like if we go look at the, 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 there's rules in Texas. I live in Texas. So there's rules, like, in our, um, oh, what's it called? Our legislature put it in, I think, probably over 100 years ago. You cannot shoot a buffalo from the second floor of a hotel. But you can shoot a Native American from the same second floor. Now, I'm sure that rule probably had a place 100 or 200 years ago when there was a Native American tribe riding horses in to shoot arrows at the town or whatever, and so somebody put a rule in there. But if that rule's there today and somebody like tries to use that to shoot somebody that might be of Native American descent, it, it's not gonna go well. That, that rule is immortal and it should have had an expiration date. So religion's a great way of avoiding hell. Spirituality is about going there conquering that shit and coming back victorious. Like, I do believe in heaven on earth, but it comes with having an open mind. It comes with having an open heart that is guarded, like, like right, above all else, guard your heart, probably an intelligent thing. The only time the Bible says above all else, but like an open mind and an open heart that is guarded. Like, like there's walls, but you can open the drawbridge, right? And 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 then you, you have this just ability to set yourself free. You, you don't have to follow all the rules. Is, is this kind of making sense what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. I love what you said about heaven on earth. And I want you to I want you to address something that we talked about off camera. So just that belief, because I think a lot of times people read the Bible or they think of, and I, I think I think religion has actually done this to us or or at least helped us. Um, I don't want to blame religion because I don't want to get in, in trouble with blaming, but <laughs> um, I think it's I think it's human nature. I mean, even when you look at like the deep religious philosophies and, you know, you've got whether it's the Pharisees or the Catholic priests or whatever different religion it is like, OK, I'm here. I hear from God. And then there's all of you who hear from God through me. And what you just said about like God speaking to you and and like heaven on earth. Talk about the other thing that you said, like what Satan means, like what the word Satan means, because that's so interesting to me. Oh, yeah. Satan, the word in ancient Aramaic, like like probably the language that Christ spoke, right? So it means crazy thought. 
So if you look at maybe some of the earlier translations of, of, of the Bible, like, like in Aramaic, then, then you think about like Jesus and he's going through that 40 day fast and here comes Satan. Hey, why not turn the stone into bread? Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, crazy thought. And, and people are often like one of the big things that like stops them from having the millionaire mindset, from having that, that, that real estate between their ears become something that can be leveraged for them is they don't own their thoughts. They are possessed. So if there's a crazy thought that's possessing you, like some dumb idea, like some belief, value, or rule that is not your reality, but rather your ideology fed to you by somebody that is not you, then that ideology, and most people will do more for their ideology than their actual reality, okay? Like that ideology, that belief, and if you take the word belief and you break it apart to its original sources, be love, if it's not loving, it's an ideology, not a reality. Your crazy thoughts that possess you, or worse, consume you, take you away from your reality, which is the mission that I, you know, I believe God put us here to do. And normally it's your mission is going to be indicated by the problems in your life. Like there's something you came to learn. There's something you came to see. Like either God sent us here because he hates us and wants to punish us, or he sent us here to learn something and learn to be in the finite and still love and appreciate the infinite, right? Like, so, I mean, I think that uh, when, when you look at all the crazy thoughts, they make crazy people that become unproductive because they're possessed by something that isn't of them. Hopefully I full circle yeah. that. You know, it's it's interesting as you're saying this um, and, and we're talking about this, because I, I know your background, um, you know, you've done a lot of coaching, you've worked with some of the best coaches in the world, you ran your own mastermind for a while. And again, I want to say, I mean, Preston's extremely successful outside of any of that. Um, so all of that, and as you're talking about, you know, Satan and evil thought versus positive thought, there's so many people that immediately discount, you know, positive thinking or manifestation or, you know, being positive. But what's interesting about those same people, including me sometimes, is like, okay, we're going to discount, you know, trying to be positive and having positive thoughts. But at the same time, it's like, we spend the majority of our time with these negative thoughts, evil thoughts, as you're talking about, like with Satan. And it's, it's interesting to me how many people will argue for that limitation, um, and just get to keep it. So they're resistant toward positive thoughts. Yet, I mean, the, the counter to that is you spend the majority of your time in negativity. Right? Yeah. And, and like, you got to look at like the gifts that I think God gave us, right? Like, like, I don't think he punished us with this body. I don't think he punished us with this heart. I don't think he punished us with this mind. I don't think this is hell. I, I think, I think heaven is something that you can have like literally in your own heart. I do think there's another side to this life. I think death is a doorway. I think there's an, an afterlife. I do believe in all that, but you can have heaven on earth. That doesn't mean you don't have problems, but you can't enjoy warmth unless you've had cold. You can't enjoy light unless you've experienced darkness. Like, and so the finite, I think, makes it possible for us to go back to the infinite and enjoy. Like God said, oh, I made you in my image. Well, do we really think he's a guy that looks like Zeus sitting on a cloud? Uh, probably not. What if he's a community of souls, right? And what if we're a community of cells, right? And we have this amazing body that does these amazing things, and we can program it biochemically, neurologically, psychologically, in all these ways. And we can actually, wait, 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 watch this fucking language have fun. The word have means own fun. Like, like, look at kids. Like, why do we all love kids, Mike? Do they just 
tend to have fun, have this like joyous nature. Like you want to see the kingdom of heaven look through the eyes of a child. What are they doing? Having fun. They own fun. They're responsible for fun. Like all these things kind of intersect and connect, right? And then so when they're having fun and they're owning fun, and then we kind of go back and we use this amazing machine that we can tune and be amazing learners, learning how to use it do this and not defend something, some ideology, some system of rules and structure that is not even of us. Like, like if Jesus came to support rules, he would have been a Pharisee. Okay. He came to break the rules. He was like, no, 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 no. Not what the Romans said. No, 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 no. Not what the Pharisees said. Hey, look, you know, me and these 12 guys are going to change the way we're doing it. It's about forgiveness, which is releasing attachments. It's about love. I forgive you. Like, like, and, 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 like, he didn't come for all this crap. Now, we sit there and defend that crap because we're conditioned to. Like, it's part of our programming. But what we're supposed to be and what Jesus was, was the programmer, right? Like, if you've got, like, 40 bits per second, and that's how your conscious mind works, and you've got 2 million bits per second, like, pattern mastery is what makes us human. It takes 18,000 bits per second of data, of information to walk. That's why most people don't start walking when they come out of the womb. They have to fall down a couple hundred times to get there, right? Now, but your conscious mind's only 40 bits per second. Then, then consciously, we're, we're, we're kind of dumb, right? Like, so, so let, let's, let's look at this. You know, your, your sweater that you're wearing right now, it feels a certain way on your body. You were not feeling that until I mentioned that, right? Yeah, yeah. But you've been feeling it the entire time, right? Yep. So, like, so that sweater, you either... We're not consciously aware of it, even though it was there. Like, like I, I promise we're both sitting here clothed, right? Yeah. We're not thinking about it until we say it. So if subconscious, if, if patterns are what make us the masters of our universe is, is not even something we're in control of, then what's the point of the conscious mind? Mm. Okay? So I think the conscious mind is there to go and relook at the patterns, find out, okay, why am I behaving this way? Why am I receiving this negative emotion? Oh, what if this negative emotion is coming from a result of this is not me. This is an ideology. This is something I've taught. This is something that's been put in. I can use that 40 bits per second of information to re-underwrite and re-pattern the entire machine, the entire system so that I can be happy, so that I can have fun. Go back to the eyes of a child. They're literally in heaven. They're not sick. They're not hurt. They're not this. In, in almost every case, obviously there's the exceptions that prove the rules and they have fun. So like, Subconscious, I would presuppose to you, is subhuman. Hmm. Consciousness is what makes us human. But we have to be able to think. We have to be able to think freely. We have to look at belief, which equals be love. And anytime we're having that thought that is negative, maybe that's not our belief. Hmm. Maybe not everyone needs the exact same belief. Maybe some people do need more rules. Maybe some people do need more laughter. And, and maybe that's okay. Like maybe it's it's this entire different amazing like group of different human beings that make up this environment that makes it so damn beautiful and we don't all have to be the same like it, 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 but you have to kind of find your own peace in the mix and then you get that heaven on earth mm, i love it so good okay i want to get into the business and the background and you know how that all came about but i have a selfish question and if you don't want to answer this you don't have to um i want to talk about the jet for a minute i want to talk about and and it's again it's a selfish question but what what is the process that you go through and decide to buy a jet is it a tax thing is it a time thing is it a hey i've just earned it like i'm just curious 
Well, so so I own two. I own two planes. Um, I have a turboprop, and I have a, a a regular like Cirrus. It's kind of the small one that you can just fly personally. Um, and and then I'm I'm trying to buy a jet. I don't I, I don't have the. I want to get that twin engine jet. I haven't bought that one, so I'm trying to buy my third right now. And and of course I'm justifying it that as a tax thing. But of course the market sucks for buying planes because everything went up with the inflation. And and by the way, now it is on the process of coming down. So I think I'm going to probably buy next year. Um, or maybe the year after, depending on how long our market goes this way. But the process for buying a plane, uh, or or frankly any item like that, is just is you have to value your time, okay? And you kind of think, okay, well, what is my time worth, right? And and I live in El Paso, Texas, so for me, my time is a full day to get anywhere, okay? Like we don't have a lot of direct flights. We have this like little like airport it's podunk as hell like i there's not but i wouldn't be surprised if i saw like pals walking down the freaking runway like it's it's, it's pretty pathetic okay so you you have to lay over everywhere and you always need extra time it's terrible so for me when i when i bought like my first one um it's a tbm 850 and and I mean, look, it's not that sexy. Like, it's not that huge. But what it is, is it's time travel. Like, if I want to be in Vegas, I think I'm there in an hour. You know what I mean? If I want to be in New Braunfels and, and we have a house out there, I'm there in an hour. Like, if I want to be, you know, in Riodoso, which is I have another house out there, like, I'm, I'm there in, like, 20 minutes, right? So it's it's just, it's amazing. And, and so it's the time travel aspect of that. You do get a tax write-off, okay? Um when there was low interest rates, you could buy a plane. They were pretty cheap. And, and I say cheap relatively like it. You know, my friends all had like Lamborghinis. And they're like, why don't you buy a fancy car? I was like, well, I, I got a $2 million plane. Like you got a $300,000 car. Like aren't I cool enough? I eventually caved in and bought a car too. But like, um, like it, it, it was, it was, it was more like a mile of road will get you a mile, a mile of runway will get you freaking anywhere. Right. And so like you get this like freedom and this opportunity. Like if I want to be in Cancun, in in three hours, four hours, probably five, actually, like I can make a phone call. It'll get me. We will go. I don't have to do airports. I don't have to do this. I don't. And and so that that's kind of the process is valuing your time. Now, would I recommend anybody that's making half a million a year do it? No, maybe a serious. Um, but anything beyond that, I would say, look, if you're making that five, 10 million a year, then yeah, it's time to start getting in the airplane world. I love it. Yeah. Are you a pilot or are you just no. uh, on the Cirrus? Okay. So even I, like the I, Cirrus. I bought, I bought the Cirrus later as a tax deal. I needed to get out of like 600,000 more of income. Like my tax planning didn't work. And I was like, Oh, there's a Cirrus. I'll become a pilot. Of course, then I threw it into a leasing fleet. And now I just lose money on it every year. Uh, but, but I haven't lost as much as the taxes. And my goal is when I get out, you know, actually near you guys in New Brunfels, which is next year, probably, I'm going to go to flight school. And that's going to be my new job is going to flight school and learning how to fly. That way I can be back and forth El Paso as me driving um, in, in two or three hours without having to hire a pilot because that, that there are some pain in the butt nuances to it. Okay, so this is what I love about having conversations. Like we've had so many great conversations and have never even talked about this, but I'm a pilot. And I had a Cherokee 6 back in the day. Karen and I, I mean, I flew my family all over the place. And I always wanted the Cirrus, the SR22 Turbo, but it wasn't big enough because I had three kids. And so, oh, lately, it <laughs> yeah, it totally is. And so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm interested when, when, uh, when you get down here and, and decide to, uh, anyway, I would be interested if you want to partner in that. Cause when I moved from Nevada to Phoenix, I sold my partnership in my plane. Um, so I had bought the plane and then I brought in two partners cause I wasn't flying it enough. And, but then 
I ended up having to sell my share of the plane that I bought because I felt bad. And um, so anyway, um, yes, Cirrus is you're, you're speaking my love language here. So, so I, I don't, I don't know, like, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it offline, but like, I, I don't know how that works. I do already want another one, but like, we we'll work something out. I mean, it's there where you're at. You're in Austin, right? Yeah. Like my airplane lives there. So if you need to borrow it or something, we'll figure something out. Cool. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy how the world works. So I appreciate you humoring me on the plane. So uh, by the way, the TBM too, what an amazing, I mean, I'm sure you just saw that they, the thousand that they came out. What, what a beautiful plane. I love them. I love it. I mean, I I will probably never sell my 850. I will use it till the wings fall off. And oh, I just love it. I love it. Yeah. Like, like it, it, it is truly the next level. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that I love too, I don't, I don't want to geek out too much on airplanes here, but um, the thing that I was always concerned with when I had my family in the plane or even friends for that matter, if something ever happened to me, um, you know, these guys are, they're done. And, and obviously an engine malfunction is, is rare. And probably the fact of something happening to me while I'm in the air is probably rare. But the fact that they have Autoland now and the TBMs and the Cirruses, like, come on. Really? Yeah, the new TBMs. So go, go search this on YouTube. Just go to TBM Garmin Autoland and watch. So literally you're flying and something goes wrong, your wife pulls the switch, just like the parachute, but pulls the switch, and the TBM Autoland contacts air traffic control, it takes over flight of the airplane, it communicates with your passengers, telling them everything that's going on all the way in English that they can understand, and it lands itself. That's amazing. Like, that's yeah. actually why I bought the Cirrus, like, when I bought it, I did the tax deal, and I was like, I can literally take my family, because... If something went with me, my wife can like pull down like 20, 30 pounds of whatever and the and the plane will just float down. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's why I bought that one. Is this just a safety deal? But like that's amazing. Autoland? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. Uh, I'll send you a I'll send you a link to the YouTube. I mean, it's, it's epic. So I know it's awesome. All right. So shifting gears a little bit. Um, you are a and and maybe we talk about the business a little bit where it's at today, just kind of the evolution. Because again, I'm just blown away at how much success you've had and how you've kept yourself um, just a fun, real dude. Because uh, I think a lot of people sometimes think that success equals um, something that it doesn't. Every successful person that I personally know, um, well, I shouldn't say everyone, but the majority of them are actually good humans. And so I want to kind of like dispel that. So let's talk about the business where you came from, what it looks like today. And I want to make sure that we leave time to get kind of your forecast on real estate in general, interest rates, the future of the markets. I know you have a crystal ball and I want you to read it for us. I don't know if I have a crystal ball, but I'll give you my best. Um, so the business, like, and, and my, my story is simple. Like my dad got cheated for money by an entrepreneur guy when or by, I don't even know if the guy was an entrepreneur. He might have been a lawyer, actually. So maybe, maybe that's a, a tell. But um, my dad got cheated by a guy when he tried to become an entrepreneur when I was young. Okay, And I got to be the charity case. I rode up with him, went to the guy's house, watched my dad. It was all six foot four. Could have killed this guy with a napkin. Like, just get beat by a guy that understood the language of money and business and all this better than my father, who was a little more unsophisticated in those areas. 
And, and I grew up in a perfect family, lots of love, lots of uh, generosity, but, but we were poor. You know, the reason my dad had gone into business, is he wanted to have the life we watched on TV, not the one we had. So this was a very significant event for me when I was there. Like we drove back down, like my mom even like had said, like, you can't get paid, like, then, then don't come home. And he collected like a small wad of cash from this guy. He was owed thousands, probably didn't even get a couple hundred. And we, we went to, um, the, well, it's a... Albertsons now, but it was a Smith's back then. Uh, and, and I rode back with that box of ramen noodles on my lap. And that's that's what we ate for the next few weeks while he was out looking for a job and giving up on his entrepreneurial dreams. And 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 so that that was a triggering event for me where I, I shifted. And, 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 and that was my first big problem. If you read the good book, Sins of the Father, Sins of the Son, money became the meaning of life. And I I, I decided I would never have anyone take my dreams. I could not compromise you know i mean think about that word comp a promise like uh -uh, no way like if i make a promise to me i keep it or i die these Mm. are very simple and so money became the meaning of life and i became a cutthroat piece of shit i i uh, went on and i built companies and i was ruthless not kind and i was a shit husband and i was a terrible father in fact when you know 2019 came it was the first time i'd 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 ever lost love my dad sat in his favorite chair went to sleep went home and, and he left he passed away and this was a a, a a pivot point for me where you know money had been the meaning of life and of course my mom who was a psychology gal uh she was always like figure out the game learn how to win figure out the game learn how to win so i i was very into formulas um because of that but it it was a huge impact and that impact kept getting bigger. Like so not only did my father leaving like hit me because I never lost love. And, and I, I had to learn a lot about, you know, expectations being the mother of all suffering. And I had to start going to war with expectations in every area of my life because I, I wasn't suffering because he was gone. I was suffering because I expected him to still be here. But I also had to learn a lot about like the fact that I was this ruthless entrepreneur and I was gone building things. And, and my father was really a father to my son for the first three years of his life. So when he left, my son lost father, like not a grandfather, he lost father. And so, so I've had to spend the next four years correcting that and becoming my boy's father. Like it, it was, it was, it was this situation where I became somebody I wasn't, I, I, I got pretty rich. Like I became, you know, probably a decamillionaire in equity. I always felt broke. It was really weird. Uh, but I, I shifted all my formulas on that day. I, I said, I'm not worried about growth anymore. I'm worried about automation. And so I changed on the day that my dad left, not that day, maybe, but that month to automation instead of growth. You can find a million coaches all over the world that will teach you how to grow and scale and grow and scale. And and honestly, it's bullshit Um, because what you really need is to automate. And part of automation is growth and scale. And and that's that's in there. But when I started converting my formulas within the next year, my companies had started growing exponentially. My margins had started doubling and tripling. I started being able to see factors in the market that were previously obfuscated that I couldn't see were there. I, I, it, it became this like, oh my gosh, like, like automation was just, it was, it was a financial gift. And all of a sudden, like, I also had time, like I had, I had time to stop. I had time to be still. And, and then here, I'll, I'll give everybody like a, you want a centimillion dollar secret? Like this is a secret. Okay. Like there's a simple process to becoming very successful. It's so simple. One, being. You need to go through the process of being. It takes stillness. It takes time. It takes, um, you know, you have to study your problems the same way you'd study your Bible, the same way you'd study your wife. Like, look, I question God all the time. I question him. You know why? Because I love him. 
I question my wife. Why? Because I love her. <laughs> I question my Bible. Why? Because I love it. If you're not questioning something, then you don't love it. That's your religion, mm-hmm. not your spirituality. So I like to bring spirituality to Christianity, if that makes sense. Um, and so I get problems and I study them. I dive into them and I do being, which is the first step. And you get this beautiful, I think, biblical gift of time. Next, once you've studied it, you've understood it, you, you've taken the time to really understand it. Like, and, and think about the word understand, stand under. Why are the oceans the greatest bodies of water on the fucking planet? They are humble enough to stand underneath the rivers, lakes, and streams, and everything fucking flows into them so they get bigger, and you get more power because you're more responsible. So being, and once you understand it, then you're like, okay, I'm going to move into becoming. Well, becoming, there's measurable movement, so you go from time to talent. And you know what happens when you go to talent? Because you're measurable, you can actually measure, adapt, measure, adapt, measure, adapt, measure, adapt. Then, Then you move into the next one. Because once you've gone being to becoming, you start changing beliefs. You move to believing, and believing gives you testimony. If you want to figure yourself out, your identity is made up of this block of things called stories. It's the gift of who you get to be and also the prison of who you have to be. Mm. Ooh, think about that one for a second. Like, my identity is my prison. God's identity is my freedom. The moment you start allowing unlimited identity, you start learning far more. So being, becoming, believing, you change testimony, new gift. Next one, you get belonging. This one's really cool. You get a lot of treasure. It's fucking awesome. But then there's another one on top, and, and most people won't go there. It's called blessing, okay? And you get two things. <laughs> it's the only one where you get two gifts. You get truth. But the next gift you get is a choice, and it's trust, and most people won't. Mm. If you take trust, then you start over all over again at being again, and there's a new fucking level, and you start going up again, and you start this kind of cycle. And then, I mean, you know, iron sharpens iron. You know who I want to sharpen me? God. I'm not looking for man to sharpen me. I want God to sharpen me. Give me another problem. Let me show you who I am. And then when he sharpens me, then I have to lift up. And it's always the same. Being, becoming, believing, belonging, blessing. Being, becoming, believing, belonging, blessing. But if you miss blessing, you miss double gifts. And so the businesses started scaling and growing. And like, there's a whole lot more to the story, but I want to make sure I leave the time you need. And, and they, they they blew up. I mean, I I, I got to 19. And then I, I gave the mastermind away because I really didn't like coaching. I, I, I like doing speaking engagements. I like doing... Um, stages. I'm, I'm coming out with some courses for all that stuff that, that we'll probably have next year. But I, I didn't like the coaching because people would a lot of times come back with a similar problem. They, they wouldn't take that step of trust, I realized in most mm-hmm. people. I still am coaching all the ones that did. Like They still call me, but the ones that wouldn't take that step of trust. Like, yeah, you get the truth. It sets you free. But unless you take the trust, you got you to gotta lean in. You got to lean in when God gives you a new challenge and he shows you who you are. The faith of a mustard seed moves mountains. And that's where that trust piece comes. And if you don't have it, you don't move the mountains. And so it's just this huge, like, staircase. It's like, not even that huge. It's five steps. You just keep rich, repeat, rich, repeat, rich, repeat. Then you, you just go. And the business has exploded. And I went from rich to super rich. And now I feel rich. And, and I, you know, yeah, I got the McLaren. And I got the airplanes. And I got thousands of apartment units. And I got, like, a bunch of houses. And all that stuff's sexy. But let me tell you what. Money is not about possession. Money's about flow. Like when all these spiritual hippies talk about flow and and Christians miss this and we really fuck it up by missing this. Money's supposed to flow too. Like if you get a million dollars, there's nothing wrong with having some savings. There's nothing wrong with having this, but cash is not king. We ended that in the seventies. Cash flow is fucking king. You have an ethical obligation to go get really rich so you can help lots and lots of people by flowing your fucking cash. And so I like to get as much cash as I can and then flow it through and help more people. And it's, it's, and then what's weird is people are like, whoa, that's awesome. I want to do stuff with you. And then you get more cash and you fucking flow it through. And it's like, whoa, it kind of makes sense. 
Yeah, it makes total sense. I remember um, I, I used to hunt a lot when I lived in Nevada. And um, I remember just, you know, you, you're you're out in the wilderness. Like a lot of people don't realize this about Nevada, but up in northeastern Nevada, there's some serious mountain ranges, like wilderness areas. And you get up to these ponds, like these livestock ponds that, um, you know, they don't have water flowing in anymore. And so there's no water flowing out. And early in the spring, I mean, these ponds are just beautiful. They're clear water, it's flowing. But as that water stops flowing in and ultimately stops flowing out, it turns into a little mud hole. And I've always just kind of pictured that, what you were saying about money flow. I've always pictured it that way because when the fresh water starts, stops flowing in and stops flowing out, it turns into like something I wouldn't want to drink. And, and I, it reminds me of what you just said about money flow. Well, and, and it works in every area. Like I've had people say, oh, no, we can't go learn from them. We got to judge them. And this is in my religion, right? And this is why I trigger some Christians. They'll be like, oh, don't go learn from those people. They're spiritual. And I'm like, I, I don't think anything can challenge my God. And so I don't listen to them. And I go and I spend time with the spiritual people. And I'll go spend time with the, the yogic hippies. And I'll go spend time with, you know, anyone I can. You know what it all does? It affirms mm-hmm. my faith. Yeah. It doesn't. Challenge. I mean, yes, it challenges it, but then I go learn, and I'm like, "Oh, that's what you meant, Jesus. You're awesome, dude." But, but like, questions are a sign of love. So, like, I go and I ask as many questions as I can, and I learn as many things as I can, and then I bring it back. This works in business. This works in family. This works in fitness. This works in it works everywhere. And if you're having fun doing it, what's wrong with that? Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, we got eight minutes left. So, how many? And it doesn't just can be average or whatever, but you're a, you're a home builder, a pretty large home builder. Like how many homes do you build a year or have you built a year or what does that look like? We're, we're in the 200, 250 range, you know, and, and probably this year less. Um, you know, I think we're going to probably close, uh, excuse me, under 200 this year. Um, the market is not that friendly to home builders. I mean, that, that was one of my more valuable companies. And I would bet you like, and we got like a, a huge valuation on that one. And I'll bet you it's a third of what it was. Okay. Now the cash flow is the same. The profits are the same. Like all of that's the same, but it's just not as sexy in industry as it was like when the rates were two and 3%. Uh, yeah. So I mean, a few hundred homes a year. And, and when we move out into your area, we're going to start building out there too. Our, our goal is to get to, you know, maybe 500 to a thousand a year and and then either sell the company or pass it on. I, I you know, I, I'd like, I'd like, I love what David Green did. And I kind of want to take that road. So, so we're, we're looking at where yeah. that is. Yeah. David Green from Hobby Lobby for my audience. Cause a lot of people think uh, when we say David Green, they think of uh, Brand, Brandon Turner's uh, co-host from Bigger Pockets, David Green, but you're talking David Green from Hobby Lobby. Um, just a, a, yeah. amazing yeah. mindset. And so here's my question. And I just wanted to set the context because you've been a builder for a while. Um, and I love what you said too. You're not, you, it doesn't sound, I mean, you're going to go to 500 to a thousand homes. I saw a while back that Warren Buffett just put 800 billion into DR Horton and a couple other, um, home builders. Like I'm, I'm in the real estate space and so many people are negative on it right now. I even host a podcast every week with three other guys. And one of the guys is a real estate, um, investor. He actually owns the list for bankruptcies in Texas. And so we, you know, I, I'm surrounded by people that either think, the future is bright or it's really dark. I'm curious, what do you think the future looks like for single family homes, builders, um, investment properties, et cetera? 
Yeah, and I, I like how you framed that because, like, look, if you're going to ask me about the future for office buildings, then I'm going to have a very different conversation uh, in, in the short run. And when I say short run, the next five years. Um, I, I mean, when, when I'm talking single family in the next five years, I'm bullish. Do, am I going to be bullish in the next six months? No. I mean, look, you, you, you have your highs, you have your lows, but I'm very bullish. And, and here's why. Look, you got you to understand markets, okay? Like markets, you have like whatever market you're in. Right now, we're talking single family. And then you have to have the markets that affect it. These are all cogs in a machine. And this is what you have to look at, right? Like the Federal Reserve, these financial overlords that, that basically run the monetary system on earth are going to have an effect on this market, right? You've got the House, the Senate, the White House, they're going to have an effect on this market. Now, you've got big Wall Street, they're going to have an effect on this market. These are kind of the three major players that I think, at least if you're in America, that you're going to be directly dealing with that have a cog in the machine on the market you're in, regardless of what market you're in, okay? Now, single family, let's take all those three, and let's call them what I call politics, right? Because you got the donor class and the Wall Street corporates. You got like the uh, the Fed guys, and then you've got the uh, the politicians. Right? This is all politics. Poly means multiple. Ticks means blood sucking arachnids. Okay, so they all suck. In the long run, fuck them. In the long run, the only thing that matters. When I say long run, I'm talking, you know, the long run, right? Like in the short run, one year they can affect anything. Three years they can have a significant effect. Five years, they, they can have some effect. Ten years, they start waning in their effect because the market never lies. The market is always supply and demand. So that's where I try to go. This is my baseline for a market. If I'm going to understand an industry that I'm going to get in and I'm going to buy a company in or whatever, I want to understand that industry. Here is the industry in single-family homes that will answer your question. I'm trying to go as fast as I can and give you all the data because those three factors do affect you in the immediate, right? But not necessarily always. Um, since 2008, when the banks were bailed out, but the builders were not, the builders have never produced the housing units that we needed as a nation, okay? So we have had a, on average, half million unit disparity of housing every year. When COVID hit, we had 5 million, plus or minus, too few units, okay? Now, you take that 5 million, that got compounded during COVID, even though everybody could buy and everybody could afford, because there wasn't new units coming on fast enough. The time to build a house went from six months to, in some cases, as much as 18 to 24, okay? So even if they could afford it, they never got it. So it actually slowed production in many ways of housing based on the demand. Now that rates are up, that's also slowing production as well, because a lot of builders are saying, ah, we'll hold, we'll wait, we're not going to suffer the pain. So you're seeing this consistent disparity between households formed and housing units built, and then let's compound it. There's been an enormous migration from high-tax states to low-tax states. There's been an enormous migration with the open border. And I know, I know, some people are going to be like, oh, the open border, I want to get into a political life. Like, fuck your ideology. Whether you agree with it or disagree with it, I don't care. Let's look at what is cause and effect. If people come here, they didn't come here to be homeless. That's a new unit needed for housing for, on average, every three people that walked across the border. So we think based on estimates that you can't get from our government because we live in the misinformation age and they manipulate lots of fucking data, that there is a disparity of housing units somewhere between 9 and 12 million on average, okay? That means that demand is going to be through the fucking roof. This is why you hear the code, structural inflation is in the system, because it has to. Because it has to balance. Supply and demand never lies. Politicians in the middle do. There's a reason why they think BlackRock and Vanguard and all these people are going to own 60% of houses. Guess what they're doing right now? 
They're buying in. They're resetting up their funds. They're restructuring. They were doing this before COVID. They're getting ready to do it again. They need American consumers and more pain. And if right now you're in the housing world and you can survive it, you can do well. In 10 years, you're going to be really fucking rich if you can play in the buy hold game. So good, man. Oh, I wish I had another 30 minutes with you on that subject, um, which I might have to take you up on a round two in, in a few months. But um, I don't, I know you're not selling anything other than construction and housings in a good time. Is there a place where people can find you or, or is it just listen to my yeah, podcast? I mean, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'm on lots of podcasts. You can go to my website, thepreston.brown.com. All my social medias are thepreston.brown.com. I do not have any courses I'm selling at this point. I will probably come out with something next year, but all the content I have is free. We do answer questions on the social media. I've got a team that at least answers the easy ones. And then I, I, I try to answer the harder ones if they come out. So yeah, message me. If I can help, I want to. And I want to build a relationship with anyone that's trying to have success in this business world. I think we're we're literally in the stage where we have the greatest opportunity we've ever had in history. And people are so scared of what a bunch of dumbass politicians are doing on a geopolitical scale uh, that that they're missing the gold that's lying at their feet. Yeah. Yeah. So true. Well, I have a hard stop, brother. I appreciate all the wisdom. Um, I appreciate your friendship and just what an amazing human you are. Um, look forward to grabbing dinner in New Brunfels. And vice versa, man. Can't wait to see you. Cool. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Hey, man. Have a good one, brother. Bye. If you found value in this episode and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, I would appreciate it if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. And until the next episode, cheers to moving further along in your journey of investing for freedom.